Good afternoon and welcome to the Jason Rancho on AM 770 KTTH 94.5 FM for our friends on the greater east side. The city of Seattle, the council is getting closer to voting on a new drug bill. Will it be enough? Well, that's what's trending. What's trending? The drug crisis. They seem awfully close to actually voting on this drug ordinance, which effectively says, number one, yeah, we're going to move it down to gross misdemeanor so that the Seattle City Attorney can move forward if she so chooses to enforce the law. However, we're going to put in place some rules that are yet to be determined that will instruct what will, in fact, be the criteria that the police department will use before deciding to make an arrest versus pushing people into drug treatment. Now, the preference is to go into drug treatment. That will always be the preference. And that's something actually I support unless they are breaking the law in a prolific way and or they are violent. I am totally in line with the thinking that we get people clean and sober instead of just putting them in jail. Where I disagree with folks on the left, certainly with folks on the far left, they don't want police having anything to do with this. Nothing whatsoever. That is, of course, a silly, dangerous position. Now, the vote today will be most likely in favor of passage. They will pass this, and then it will be signed by the mayor. You're likely to have three no votes. Unless something changes, and again, anything is possible. You're going to get Shama Sawant saying no because she says no to everything. She's an extremist. You've got Teresa Mosqueda who says no to everything because she's an extremist. And then you've got Tammy Morales who says no to everything because she is an extremist. You've got three extremists. Two of those three are open socialists. The third, just a, a garden variety, a radical left extremist. So let's hear what they had to say. Here's Teresa Mosqueda. This makes the bill, the bill's purported focus on diversion less concrete if we expressly say that this diversion framework doesn't need to be followed. Now, what she's meaning there is that there's not a mandate that you put people into diversion. There can't be a mandate there because then you're taking away all of the policing from the police officers. I get it. Teresa Mosqueda and the two others that I mentioned do not want police involved, and they don't believe that anyone who is an addict or who is using drugs and committing a crime should suffer any legal consequences, none whatsoever. Their position, a harm reduction position, is one that will ultimately kill them while they create more victims out of just everyday folks who are visiting Seattle, live in Seattle, work in Seattle. That's the truth. They would like to see no punishment whatsoever and they claim that that's their way of showing compassion we shouldn't be criminalizing addiction we're not criminalizing addiction we're criminalizing criminal behavior that's how it's supposed to work here's tammy morales this bill does not provide treatment the 27 million dollars is not to scale up treatment options in the city that would serve the very large-scale crisis that we have that money is coming to the city over the course of about 18 years which is ultimately less than a million dollars a year for treatment. Now, to be fair to her, she's right. We're not funding treatment in the Seattle area. We're not doing anything new here. Where she's misleading is that we are doing some funding already, and it's not being utilized. We should be putting a ton more funding into treatment. They choose not to do that. 
Instead, they put it into other social programs that benefit a small group of people that they think will gain them some political gain. Let's give out money grants to organizations that are run by the BIPOC community, and that's it. What about everybody else who's in need? Eh, nah, I'm not going to do that. Well, that group right there, I mean, it's just a smoothie shop. Why are we giving them money? Oh, it's owned by someone who's BIPOC. That, that's all they're doing. They're doing silly things like that. They're paying more than they should on projects. They've got a whole bunch of staff members who make more than they should, more than they ever would on the private market or in the private sector, excuse me. That's where they're wasting a lot of the money. And yet they're always, always, always somehow in a hole, despite raising taxes over and over and over again and always looking for new ways to bleed us dry. At the end of the day, even if it doesn't come with any funding for treatment, I'm done. I don't care. I'd prefer that we give a lot of treatment. That's not my 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 mandate in order for me to back something. I want to be able to put someone in jail who's breaking the law. I want to be able to send the message that this is not okay. Now, here's the reality after this thing passes or what we assume will be a passage within the next hour or so. Here's the reality. No matter what they do, no matter what they say, they still won't really be able to enforce this. Because what do we not have enough of? Say police officers. Police officers. Precisely. And you got it on your first guess. We don't have enough cops. Now, this gives cops a tool when they're already dealing with someone who is using and they happen to be free and able to do an investigation, get down to usually downtown Seattle or the International District or Capitol Hill or really also Lake City or Ballard or everywhere in Seattle. We just don't have enough cops. So the idea that all of a sudden that this is going to make a big dent in the crisis, I, I just let's make sure the record is clear. That's not what's going to happen here. That's not what's going to happen at all. And so people will still be using on our streets. We just might be able to make some arrests that we previously weren't able to make and previously see charges where we previously didn't. But we're not going to go all of a sudden and and do these massive sweeps and start making arrests or throwing people into detox. Not going to happen. This is going to be incremental steps, which is ironic because the way that you hear Tammy Morales and Teresa Mosqueda and Shama Samwant speak, they think that it's going to be some massive issue. It's not. Here's what I think they do fear. They know that their positions on police are fringe and they're not going to be in office to continue to bash police officers and keep resources from going their way. And thus, they know that once we do have officers, they might start actually making arrests. That's their real fear. I hope their fear comes to fruition. Let's find out what else is trending. What's trending? Celebrity news. Russell Brand, the comedian, the actor... He's got a YouTube show that has now been blocked from monetization because he has been accused of rape and sexual assault. Now, he denies the allegations. We'll play audio from him from him in a second. But we're talking about rape, sexual assault, emotional abuse, all made by four women as part of a joint investigation by the Times of London, the Sunday Times 
and Channel 4 dispatches. This is all in the UK. A fifth woman has since come forward and accused him of flashing his genitals. Now, he points out something that a lot of conservatives have picked up on. Some have immediately defended him. I'm not going to do that. I have no idea. I don't know the guy. But he brings up a point that a lot of conservatives kind of identify with, or at least they understand this perspective. But amidst this litany of astonishing, rather baroque attacks are some very serious allegations that I absolutely refute. These allegations pertain to the time when I was working in the mainstream, when I was in the newspapers all the time, when I was in the movies. And as I've written about extensively in my books, I was very, very promiscuous. Now, during that time of promiscuity, the relationships I had were absolutely always consensual. I was always transparent about that then, almost too transparent. And I'm being transparent about it now as well. And to see that transparency metastasized into something criminal that I absolutely deny makes me question... Is there another agenda at play? Now, the other agenda at play that people are picking up on is the timing of all of this. And they're connecting it to other instances in which someone is finally going against the liberal mainstream view or the liberal fringe view, really, and taking on more conservative roles. And they will do anything, they being folks on the far left, to stop that person from gaining any kind of foothold, any kind of influence. They point, look what they're doing to Donald Trump. They're coming after him. And Russell Brand has, within the last year-ish, he has really become someone who's outspoken on the right, even though he's not a conservative, certainly not by traditional standards. Does he have conservative views? Yes. Does he push back against some of the lunacy on the left? Absolutely. And that's why a lot of Republicans, conservatives, have gravitated towards his message. The same way a lot of conservatives, while they're not necessarily gravitating towards Bill Maher, they're at least saying, okay, this is a guy who is at least making some sense and calling out the craziness on his own side. We have some respect for that. So people are wondering whether or not he's just getting a little bit too popular, thus they had to go after him. While I believe that, I can also believe that someone who was very much under the influence at the time might have engaged in improper behavior without actually realizing it. Because he was someone who was very much an addict. This was someone who was very troubled. Is it possible that he's legitimate in his denials while not realizing some of the conduct? Do I believe that he flashed someone? Yes, I do. I'm sure if he spoke out about that, he probably said, okay, yes, that I did. That's my guess. But the other stuff, I, I, I don't know. I don't like the idea. Megan Kelly has made this point. By the way, I'll be on her show next week. But Megan Kelly made the point of, hey, conservatives, like I get where you're coming from, but you're automatically just assuming he's innocent and you're defending this guy like you know. Probably unwise. And I agree with that. I think we should be fair which is why I find the YouTube portion of this really interesting. YouTube coming out and saying, we are not going to allow you to monetize your content on our channel. You can still post. We're just not going to allow you to get paid for it. He hasn't been charged with anything. He hasn't even been charged. Like I get the concern of not wanting to be associated with him. If you're the B, I think it was the BBC or one of the, the networks they pulled most of his content from their online archive. They don't want to be associated with him. That part I understand. He doesn't work for you currently. But YouTube is a place where you're supposed to 
regardless of who you are as a person, be able to express yourself within the boundaries of whatever terms of services you have, even though we all know that they are inequally or unequally applied. For them to just pull his livelihood or a portion of his current livelihood, to me, that is wrong. That is a decision for individuals. If you are someone who sees these allegations against him and you are disgusted by it, you no longer want to be a fan, okay. That's how YouTube stops paying him. You not watching. But when you have not even been charged yet, and you don't even know if these allegations are true, you are telling everyone that you think he's guilty. You are signaling that he's guilty. And if that's now going to be the new bar that individuals have to get over or meet in order to be monetized on YouTube, then just say that. Just put out your rules right now and say, if by the way, if you're ever accused of something and we don't like you, we're just going to assume you're guilty and treat you as such. Just say that now because then we're at least all on the same page. We have rules that are not equally applied. And we've seen that with big tech for a very long time. I'm going through with something with that, like that, having to do with just my content with Newsbreak, an app that apparently is popular and it does deliver us a lot of page views. But they censored or tried to censor two of my stories. Oddly enough, I didn't even post. They posted them on my behalf. I didn't even post them. We'll get into it tomorrow, but I've since deleted the app. I'm not going to participate with that. And the, the problem for sites like YouTube or Facebook, Meta, whatever it is, and YouTube, or excuse me, Twitter before Elon Musk, they had a whole lot of control over us because there were lack of options. And to be clear, big tech was trying to destroy those options. They went after Getter. They took it offline the moment that it became a true threat. The moment. And so what we have here now is big tech still acting the same way. We're going to get rid of certain kinds of content we don't like, or go after people we don't like. But now guess what? There are some viable alternatives. Rumble is gaining in popularity. Still more so amongst conservatives, but not just conservatives. You have X. It's not perfect. But it's much better than what it was before. And I'm more confident now than I was before Elon Musk of being allowed to express my my views. And if someone who's a rotten person, if someone who's even accused of something ends up creating an account there and I'm disgusted by it, I won't go to that account. We curate our own content, our own content exposure. And so to me, this doesn't seem like YouTube is doing the right thing, but I'd like to hear from you because I do concede that this is maybe a little bit more complex than some people realize. Because let's not pretend that if someone you knew was accused of raping a 16-year-old, that you wouldn't feel uncomfortable being associated with that person, even if that person wasn't yet charged. Is that fair? Not necessarily. But I'm willing to bet we would all have at least those feelings. So send me a text, 1-800-465-8770. Let's find out what else is trending. What's trending? L-G-B-T-Q-I-A-A-D-F-H-Z plus plus. When you live in some more sort of normal parts of the country, you've got students who end up pushing back 
at the school that they go to, their woke agenda, uh, woke agenda, which is also woke agenda. You can put them both together at this point because we're talking about woke gender identity issues. And you had hundreds of students from a school in Pennsylvania, the Pokemon Valley School District. I like that better than Perkyoman. I don't know how to pronounce that. Per- how do you say it? You were pretty close, I think. Pokemon. And they walked out of class on Friday because the local school board didn't enact a policy that they were pushing that said, we want students to go to the bathroom that corresponds with their biology. Meaning, if you're a transgender boy or girl, you go to your biological gendered bathroom. That's what the students and parents seem to want overwhelmingly. And this really became a big issue, especially locally, because a parent went on, I think it was on Twitter or X, posted how his daughter at the school was left, quote, too upset and emotionally disturbed to go into any of the bathrooms again at her school because she had an encounter with a transgender student. Now, it doesn't really give us any more details than that, but... Again, I understand where a young girl might be coming from. Going into a bathroom where there was visibly someone who you believe to be male. Like, I get it. It's also just uncomfortable. There was, when I was in college, every school has them. Like a uh, 53-year-old who decides to go back to school and get their degree and then weirdly live in the dorms. There's something wrong with that person. Let's be clear. Living, living off campus and going back to school for it, totally understand that. The ones who want to live on campus and join a bunch of clubs and hang out with the kids, sorry, something's wrong with that person. So weird. I hate, hate to be the one to break it to you. But I had someone like that who was in her 50s who would go into the male bathroom. We didn't have genderless bathrooms. She just didn't want to walk to the women's bathroom. It was so bizarre, and it made everyone uncomfortable. And eventually she moved into another dorm where I guess they were more accepting. But in this case, you had this policy that everyone want passed, but they said no. The superintendent, Dr. Barbara Russell, defended her decision to stick with the current policy, which allows a transgender person to use the bathroom that they identify with. We have policy 103, which is non-discrimination in Title IX. It calls out gender identification as a protected class. This is our policy right here. The unfortunate incident that happened over the weekend or last week is one that should have been addressed independently. It could have been resolved. It did not have to come to this social media, let's further divide the community and hurt more kids as opposed to support. Well, kids aren't being hurt. I know your feelings are hurt because you're probably getting called out on all of this, but it seems pretty clear to me that the students are on overwhelmingly on the side of going back to a more traditional use of bathrooms. Here is one of the students. Her name is Victoria speaking with Fox. I mean, there needs to be some changes. Um, it's just uncomfortable seeing like 19 year old men or 18 year old men in my bathroom. Is that an unreasonable comment from her? No. Seriously. Like, completely reasonable. Ho- however you think about this issue, this is not someone who's a bigot, right? She's not like, I don't want them trans queers in my bathroom. Like, they're not doing that. 
This is someone who's clearly stating a logical and reasonable position. But we're supposed to believe that they're all bigots. They all just hate the trans people. They call them just the trans. They hate the trans. That's how they're portrayed in left-wing media. John is a student who organized this protest on Friday. I mean, kids were upset. They didn't, like, girls, we want to protect them. Um, They were upset. They didn't want men in their bathroom. Those girls are lucky to have students like John who will stand up for them. And apparently this was a massive walkout. Like a ton of students decided, yeah, no, we're not okay with this. You see, they're organizing, but they won't get lauded by CNN or MSNBC or the New York Times. Now, if they were walking out demanding more gun control, this would be a national story outside of Fox. CNN would be calling them all heroes. Look, the next generation fighting for their rights, they just want to be safe at school. But when these students want to just be safe in their bathrooms, they're either ignored or they're completely ridiculed. I think it's important, though, that they hear the the kids' voices because uh, they are making these policies without taking into consideration how they affect the students and how uncomfortable it is just to be a teenager in general, but now have to be faced with, uh, you know, the invasion of their privacy in those areas where they should feel safe and private. Good for them. They are standing up for what they believe in. They happen to be on the right side of this by any objective standard. And they're going to learn something that is an important lesson. You're going to be ignored. You're going to be ignored. The school is going to ignore you. The superintendent's going to ignore you. The media outside of conservative media will ignore you. How you respond to that, how you react, how you get creative to go around being ignored and still get your way. That'll be a fun bit of education. 1-800-465-8770 for your text messages. You're listening to The Jason Ranch Show. The Jason Ranch Show. Here to react, Seattle Talk Radio host Jason Ranch. And the rise of soft on crime laws and policies have made it worse. Our man in the Pacific Northwest, Jason Rance, is on that. And you keep on bringing her these extraordinary stories from Seattle. It's amazing. Long form. Well, we're giving out a whole lot more traffic tickets than we've done in the past. Joining me in studio to explain is my friend who has not been in the studio on any Friday when I've wanted to get him in, so now i got to lower myself to putting him in front of a prime audience on a Tuesday, Chris Selvin. Well, it's not my fault that my son plays college football. And I mean, I travel. it is kind of your fault. Well, well no, I mean, uh, he did it on his own, and I travel around following him like uh, the deadheads of the 60s. Yeah, there just, you go. How's yeah, he I'm, doing? Oh, they're great. They're having fun. We're going to be in Salt Lake City this weekend. Uh, so, yeah, he's having a blast. We're having fun. Chances are, on the drive over, you'll be seeing lots of people <laughs> who will be getting pulled over for some pretty serious traffic infractions. Yeah, and not necessarily just being pulled over for a traffic infraction. We're we're talking about trials for really significant things. And I got clued into this uh, last week. There was a briefing uh, for the King County Prosecutor's Office on what things are doing, you know, what we're seeing on the roads out there. And I don't think it comes as a shock to anybody who drives that we're seeing just the egregious amounts of bad mm-hmm. behavior out there. It started in the pandemic because there was there's no one on the road. There was no one on the road, so people thought they could go 100 mm-hmm. miles an hour, and then we all thought it would stop when the roads became full again. And shocker, it, it has not. Uh, and so uh, I was kind of surprised by these numbers, as were the prosecutors in King County's 
felony traffic unit. Uh, these are the people who try, we're talking vehicular homicide, vehicular assault, uh, felony DUIs, which I believe in this state is number four mm-hmm. Yeah, before it becomes a felony, uh, hit and runs that ends in death. And the amount of open cases that King County has right now, and open means they're in they're in the process. They have a person, they're awaiting trial, so not like they're searching for people, but they have 147 open cases on these violent felonies with involving a car. Pre-pandemic, they averaged about 80 at any given time. So that like more than 120% increase in the types of violent crime using a vehicle. And again, that's, you know, violent crime in air quotes, but these are serious things. I mean, vehicular, vehicular homicide, things like that. And they're trying to figure out, you know, what can we do to turn this tide? Why is everybody driving so angry? Why is everybody doing well, the way that we're doing it? And, but yeah, they are prosecuting these people, but the yeah. numbers are way up there. But let, let's be clear here. Are, are we talking about your average driver who's now speeding, or are we actually talking about criminals who are trying to take advantage of the soft on crime rules? When you tell people uh, probably that they're a combo. not- Well, when you tell folks who are already criminals, we're not going to pursue you for speeding away from a crime, well, you're going to continue to speed without- getting chased and then that might cause an accident and that's, and that's what we're talking about in a lot of these cases yeah we're not exactly just talk, yeah we're not just talking about all of a sudden everyday folks who were speeding during the pandemic just decided not to speed that's not really what we're talking some i suppose but that's not what we're talking about yeah but we did see a steady incline in the pandemic and then we have the the pursuit law change then we have the blake decision that changed the drug possession yeah that's and other issues Th- these that's are kind criminals. of in the middle of this and then the trend then also continued where you thought it might have leveled off mm-hmm. Then you can now sprinkle in the Blake decision plus the the pursuit law difference. Speed, so speeding in and of itself, as my my point is, that's not a felony. No, I, I expect that that will probably continue for a little bit, depending how the traffic actually is. I suppose, right? But I mean, the, the real caseloads that we're talking about these are criminals who are using their cars in illegal ways, not simply, I'm speeding because I'm used to it. Well, and in 60% of these cases, impairment is also Mm -hmm. involved. Uh, And what they're seeing, you know, in the old days, it used to be, okay, obviously alcohol was number one. Marijuana is now legal. And so they obviously saw an uptick in people impaired. But what they're seeing now is what they call poly drug use, which is basically throwing everything in the, it's a cocktail that these people, Mm -hmm. when they say impairment, you know, you might have a little bit of heroin, a little bit of fentanyl, yeah, you might have coke, plus, Again. and then you're getting behind the wheel. So you're right. The, the the poly drug use is now something that they're seeing on the rise, which again you could probably tie back with not too many not you know probably. ways to, I mean, to the, the the drug laws. So we did not see this in any meaningful way before we legalized drugs in the state of Washington. I wouldn't say that we didn't, but I, I mean, the, in, the in meaningful ways, we we certainly didn't see a huge number of that, and now we're seeing a much larger number. The reason is we legalized drugs, and guess what? When you legalize drugs. More people are going to consume. When you tell people they're not going to be pulled over, more people will consume drug of choice or drugs of choice and then drive. It's not rocket science to figure this out. It's pretty simple. Even a Democrat could figure out. I hope so because they're the ones responsible. And and but the positive news is that they're prosecuting these people where they where they have where caught, they can get yes. when they catch them and when they do them. But that's uh, a problem. But but let's be clear about something because this is another big part of this issue here, and I'm glad you pointed that out. When they're caught. Correct. So the only way, these are preventable crimes. If you tell officers that they're able to pursue someone who steals from the local pot shop and then speeds off, well, if they're speeding off, you can't stop them. Once they crash into a pedestrian, killing that pedestrian, then you get involved. That is a preventable crime. 
crime. Exactly. As is the decision to get behind the wheel impaired, even if you're not, say, a quote-unquote criminal doing something. You're you're just making the bad decision to take multiple drugs and then do dangerous things on the road, which which include driving. But I think they're they're enabled. Again, we did not see this level before legalizing drugs. Were there people who were driving while—sure, that that, that has always been the case. That part's not going to change. There's going to be X amount of people who do that. It's going to be relatively low, though. Maybe slightly higher after weed was legalized and everyone's trying to figure out what what that was originally going. Whatever it is, but— all of a sudden, when we're talking about fentanyl or heroin or cocaine in someone's system, in addition to everything else, yeah, th- those are addicts who are already breaking the law. They were breaking the law before, and now they probably feel enabled because we're telling them we're not going to pursue. And, you know, again, I'm not going to go into the causation of this. That's, That's where you job. come in yes. because that wasn't just I – was, I was focusing, you know, just primarily sure. on where we are in the numbers. But what I think is going to be interesting out of this, and this was brought up when I, when I talked to the, the traffic unit, was – what are we going to see next legislative session? Mm-hmm. Uh, and what we are most likely going to see is a much heavier push for lowering the blood alcohol level to 0.05, uh, which we saw this last session, uh, but didn't get anywhere, but they well, believe there's going to be... it's not based in anything. But, right. But, I mean, it's been tried in Utah... Uh, for a couple of years now, so there is going to be some data that they can look at. But th- as we go forward, this is what we're going to see: is maybe these numbers being used now to push a, a lowering of the blood alcohol limit for uh, DUI. Chris Sullivan joining me in studio from our sister station. Is Utah the best state to compare data with when there's already a lower level of alcohol consumption? Yeah, again, and that's right? the, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, but but let's just talk through this. Let's say it's now 0.5. It, nothing is different. The trigger is still exactly the same of being pulled over. Correct. You, you've not changed anything. You've just made it so that you're now going after someone who may not, in fact, be impaired enough to not be able to drive safely. That's, Correct. That, that's all it does. So you're basically just telling people drink less alcohol. Then if that's the case, and I think that's a fine message to send, then just send that message. Why are we putting someone in jail? When you come up with whatever the number ends up being, what is that number based in? If there's a lot of data that suggests you are actually dangerous at 0.5 or, or point whatever you choose, okay, that's one thing. I don't hear them saying that. Well, they will. Uh, in this conversation, yet, I know, and in my conversation, uh, I've, I've got a big, a long interview that I'm going to break out at some point also discussing this, is that they believe that there is the data that shows that, you know, at with one drink, you are impaired or on the road to impaired in any Well, that's way. ridiculous. But, but, and but we they, all know, we know that as a matter of fact is ludicrous. But the, at the 0.05, person, they say they have the data to show that you can be impaired. And in fact, you don't have to blow a 0.08 to get a DUI in this sure. state even. Uh, in one of the, the deputy prosecutors I talked to for this story, he just prosecuted successfully somebody who was at a 0.79. Uh, 0.079, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, 79%. Really, that would be yeah. impressive. Uh, but no, and still standing. But uh, yeah, point. So it, yeah, it can be done. But, I, but I'm do you just, trust someone who tells you the experts who tell you that if you have one alcoholic beverage that you're automatically too impaired to drive well, no not too impaired but you're on the road to be you're being well, yes impaired. any sip of alcohol is right. on the road exactly. to, to getting impaired. but again you know i'm a 230 pound guy no point. you can have a changes, beer you'll be fine correct whereas a 150 pound man may, might not so there's there's some no, areas in this habits you can probably go five in and you won't feel a buzz yet <laughs> wow wow where Am did I that wrong? come from Am I wrong? oh all my posts on social media yeah <laughs> 
uh, about two thirds of them are my son, and the other third are a beer bottle, drink. beer glass. Sorry, uh, but no, um, yeah, it's just it, it's an interesting discussion to see how well what these numbers, what they look like, one and two, how they might be used going forward to to change or to potentially change policy. You also need law enforcement to be that able is to also do the job, a very which... you know, and it's interesting <laughs> when I when I talk to the these folks that they brought up a story that I, that kind of blew my mind when we were talking about the lack of enforcement during the pandemic, especially. Uh, in King County alone, in one of their shifts, they had eight troopers who, during like a very short span, pulled people over for DUIs or whatever and got COVID. And seven out of the eight had to be quarantined for 14 mm-hmm. days. So on one shift, they had a trooper for King, for that part of King County. <laughs> I was like just thinking back to those times when, you know, those interactions with the public and then the quarantine that followed, how that kind of decimated our ability to, you know, and plus the firings, you know, to, to yeah. be able to enforce the laws that are out there. We've been going over King County data. Is there any similar data? I get, I'm, I'm going to look around. Uh, King County was the one that the, came up to my mind as, as I as I've, got a tip about this. People yeah. coming into the area exactly. from outside for work. But in terms of the, you know, the types of behaviors and cases that they're catching, South King County and North Pierce mm-hmm. seem to be kind of the spot where they're catching all this, which, of course, not only corresponds to some of the random shootings we've seen along the freeways Shocking. which have skyrocketed over the last two or three years four years as well kind of in that same mm-hmm. general area uh but yeah north i think number one is north king for these yakima i think is part two and then north pierce is probably yeah. the third top for this i just love that they're going to pivot this into arguing to to lower the alcohol limit yeah but, but it but, has but nothing to do it. with that I, I i get it but it has nothing the, the uptick in numbers here that we're talking about the felonies have nothing to do with traditional DUI the way you and I think of it. Right. I mean, it, it's doesn't. a part of it, but yeah, yeah, you have to be realistic about what's happening on the on the roads in reality today when it comes to the ability to chase or pursue versus drug use, things like that. Yeah. Very quickly, before we let you go, I have to talk to you about this. Uh-oh. The litter study comes out, we're told on the on and off ramps and the sides of highways in this state that the vast majority, according to the Department of Ecology, of folks who litter are just McDonald's drivers. Rappers. It's just like, how stupid do you think we are for anyone to fall for that garbage take? What? They didn't even do the study of the homeless people. So don't, don't give me this garbage. It's very clear, and I meant that pun intentionally, it's very clearly due overwhelmingly to homeless. Yeah, well, I mean... Overwhelmingly! Now, you look, for instance, say, along 512 there in the Puyallup area, uh, South Hill, Parkland, in that area, they do, they clean that every year, and they get tons and tons and tons every year, and it's, there it's, yeah, there it's a cooler, a bumper, garbage wrappers, I mean, there there is all of that. But then when you drive up I-5 and look at what's right next to the 45th off-ramp and they have to clear that and that counts in the study, yeah, I'm pretty sure the pallets, the tents, the electrical wire, all the other things that we see. The shopping carts. I didn't throw outside of my my driver's side window. Well, no, I just went to Safeway, had a couple of sandwiches, (laughs) and I carried the cart into my car, and then I just flung it up. It's just like, let's be honest with people and discuss the issue as a whole. But you're right. When I saw that, too, I was like, really? They say 75% of the state does not litter. That it's twenty five percent, which is actually a stat I be- in Washington that, that one State. I do I kind of believe, believe that. Yeah, but you're telling of- me that the twenty five percent of drivers are responsible for the, the what are they the thirty nine billion tons of blah blah yeah. blah. It's like shut up, sit this one out. Well, you guys it's, are liars. It's kind of like well, when ecology tells you what the gas 
carbon tax yeah, is going all to be full of it. I mean, how honest is that? I mean, we yeah, all see they're all they're pathological liars stuff. and they're driven by partisanship. Chris Sullivan, not driven by any of those things, at least not on the air. Thank you so much for stopping by. <laughs> yeah, anytime. I'm happy to do it during the week. There you go. When you're <laughs> when you're around, I'd love to grab you and bring you into the studio. I'm happy to do it. You're listening to the Jason Rand Show. The Jason Rant Show. Let's bring in our man in the Pacific Northwest, KTTH, Seattle Talk Radio host Jason Rantz. Great to have you with us to tell people a little bit more about this. Jason Rantz is in focus now. Jason Rantz, thank you for your reporting on that. The Quick Hit. There was an incident that was reported by Fox 11 LA, Los Angeles, that seems less complex than it actually is. Because I read the title, 13-year-old girl gets attacked at Southern California McDonald's while bystanders pull out phones and record. Now, on the surface, in writing, that seems to be pretty outrageous. The, the, the first incident, first time you hear about an incident like this, you automatically are going to assume that someone would intervene. It's a 13-year-old girl who's getting viciously attacked. But dare I say, it's maybe not as simple a story as they want you to believe. And I don't think they're doing this intentionally. I think that there is a natural reaction to say, wait, really? You're pulling out your phone and you're not interfering? So let's take you through this story. Because it actually happened on September 6th, but the video has been going viral. And in this video, the 13-year-old girl, her name is Cassidy, said an unidentified woman cornered her and then started to attack her. She said she didn't know what happened. She didn't know why she was being attacked, what provoked the attack. She spoke with Fox 11 to explain. What the F are y'all looking at? I fight kids, I fight you, this, this, and that. And, you know, I'm like, I'm shocked because, like, I didn't do anything. I don't know you. You're coming at me very aggressive for no reason. And and when we say very, when she says very aggressive, very aggressive. Like, she gets on top of this girl and starts pounding the heck out of her. Like, landing blow after blow after blow. And what happens around her is that a crowd forms. And this is an adult who's, I, I can't tell you how old a person is, but it's clearly an adult. The, the crowd gets around her. They pull out their phones. Some of them are saying, what are you doing? How can you stop it? But they're not actually intervening. And the mother eventually finds out about what happened. And, you know, she wasn't there at the time. This poor girl gets taken to the hospital, pretty severely beaten. And the mom is saying, I can't believe that this would happen to my kid. I just couldn't believe that another human being would do this. You know, you, I mean, you just do not beat on, I mean, this is a 13-year-old. She's, of course, 100% right. Now, an LAPD officer said a battery report was taken, but as of now, there haven't been any arrests. I don't think they know who the suspect actually is. They do say that the suspect will be charged with child abuse and battery once she's caught. So we're still kind of in this holding pattern of, well, who is the person responsible? Why did this happen? Pushing that aside, the question then becomes, why did people just pull out their cell phones and record and not intervene? And it's one of those stories where I I totally understand why someone might ask that. And I'm not even saying that they're wrong. 
But the first instinct is now in 2023, and it has been this way since we've had social media, is to immediately document. Immediately document. We know that some people do it because they want to be close to the action and show people that they were there at the time and they think it's kind of cool. We also know there are some people who understand that it's important to, in fact, document some of these things, especially when we're talking about a crime in process. But should they have just immediately intervened and put out, put down their phone? And maybe this is an unpopular opinion, but my answer would be no. You have no clue who this person is. You don't have any clue who it is. And if you're not going to step back for a moment and think about it, you might be acting in a foolish way that not only gets you hurt, but maybe potentially gets the victim hurt even more. Because if, God forbid, this person was armed, had a knife, had a gun, had anything, this could have ended a lot differently. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't then eventually go in and intervene, but if it's only going to be for three seconds and then the guy the, the guy or the girl, whomever is the, the attacker in, in any situation, then moves on, well, then you go and tend to the victim. But you, you're at least for me, I think you have to give it a second. And you should immediately second-guess yourself in certain circumstances. Sometimes your instincts just take over, but that's not always the best thing to happen. Sorry, I I want to make sure that we're being careful for everyone. Now, in this case, because the attack did seem to go on for quite a while, like several, several seconds, tens and tens of seconds, maybe 25, 30 seconds, something like that. Okay, at that point, you'd I would intervene. Although, let's be clear as well, you end up hurting the attacker. We now live in a world in which you will be tried, potentially. You might be arrested. You might be charged. You might be put in front of a jury. And you might end up going to jail. Now, are those stories few and far between? Yes, still. But we've certainly heard some of these stories. And we've certainly heard some of the arguments coming, for example, in California from the state legislature that doesn't want any retail store employees to get involved in potentially interfering in a crime because it could hurt someone, including themselves, but also hurt someone else. We've obviously heard some of those stories. Again, they are rare, but they're out there in which a criminal ends up getting injured, but then is told... Oh, well, you can still sue the person that you were actually victimizing because now you too became a victim. It's absurd. So it's one of those stories where I don't think it's necessarily right to immediately jump down the throats of the people who chose not to immediately intervene. Now, again, they ultimately did not intervene and they just let this go on until it was over. I think that part's wrong. But the whole, what, you took out your phones first? No, that's the new instinct that's been sort of driven into us, built into us at this point. 1-800-465-8770 if you want to send me a text. Don't forget, we are now on sale for VIP tickets only to the next Freedom Series, which will be on October 24th at the historic Everett Theater. Join me, Brian Suits, and some special guests, including Dave Reichert and Semi Bird. Both of them are running for Republican governor. You've got Brandy Cruz, Jonathan Cho, Snohomish County Sheriff Adam Fortney, Seattle PD Chief, former Chief Carmen Best, and so much more. Victoria Taft will be there. Really excited. We have VIP tickets on sale right now. They will only be on sale for a week. VIP tickets ensure you get the seats that you choose. You get an autographed copy of my book, What's Killing America, and it'll be personalized. You get to spend some time with us, Brian Suits and I, in a private reception. We're looking forward to that.
So if you want to get an early jump on the tickets, they're $75. They are VIP tickets for a week. And then we open up the rest of the theater for general admissions. So head on over to KTTH.com and you can get your tickets today. KTTH.com. You're listening to The Jason Ranch Show.